If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, dark urban fantasy author, Holly Lyne. Hello and welcome to episode number 74 of the Great Writers Share podcast, a podcast where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, roar and bounce. My name's Holly Line and it's the 8th of February as of recording. So let's get into my personal update. I've been working on my upcoming book release, which is a novella entitled The Hidden City. It's comprised of three parts that were originally released last year in a series of anthologies. I now have the rights back and I'm putting them together as a novella to publish on my own. This will be the foundation of a new series in the supernatural detective niche. I've also been trying to figure out what I might want to do next with my non-fiction and turning over ideas for that. This is requiring me to do some deep mindset work, which is a constant work in progress. I am very thankful to my excellent writer friends who are always there to chew over this stuff with. I really do recommend finding a tribe of writer friends as it makes such a big difference in what would otherwise be quite a solitary pursuit. This brings me neatly onto today's guest. I am talking to author and marketer Michelle Rabb. We go deep into how she uses her background in psychology in both writing and marketing, the founding and vision for the future of the indie writer collective World Indie Warriors. I was talking about community a second ago, and this is a really good one to join. And the ways in which we need to redefine the world of work and family and whether trying to keep them separate has really been good for humanity. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Michelle, in part because of the unpredictability and chaos of doing so with her toddler in the mix. There are some delightful interruptions which I've left in, given the direction it took the interview. It also inspired our question of the week. What does professionalism mean to you? I had some really, really nice responses. Brett says, Professionalism has changed somewhat over the course of the last year. Long gone are the business meetings where you're expected to turn up looking well-groomed with a sharp suit. These days, most meetings are sat in a small room staring at a piece of glass as digital magic converts the image and sounds of someone crunching on their cornflakes in their dressing gown. It comes with some great advantages, though. No one can use the I left it at home excuse anymore, and things are much more fluid as we no longer have to wait because you can just pop into another room for a moment and come back with the resources you need. 
Jen says, for me, professionalism is all about having the ability to appropriately manage your reactions to the things that don't go well in the same way you manage your reactions to the things that do go well. How we deal with struggle, conflict or disappointment often speaks more to our professionalism than anything else. This was a really surprising response and one that really resonated with me. So thank you, Jen. And our very own Dan Wilcox says, professionalism for me means removing the self from the larger decisions. If a professional puts a book out into the market and it doesn't sell well, they can analyse and reassess and learn from whatever mistakes were made along the way, looking at each part of the process like rusting wheels in a machine, whereas an amateur might be more inclined to accept the failure, unable to see the bigger picture and assume that they are the problem from the get-go. Yeah, so thank you very much for those responses. And now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only Michelle Rabb. Michelle Rabb is not the biggest fan of talking about herself unless you ask her about what her current passion project is. Then she'll talk your ear off. If she's into something, she's all in. She's currently working on a sci-fi dystopian novel, has founded a group of indie creatives called the World Indie Warriors, is a branding and marketing consultant for indie creatives and freelancers, and is a middle-aged mom of a preschooler. So yeah, she's tired. I can relate. <laughs> she holds a doctorate in psychology, does photography and loves to play with graphic design. She loves fantasy and sci-fi and sappy love stories. Her favourite trope is friends to lovers, which is by no coincidence how she found the love of her life. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to Great Writers Share. Thank you. Thank you so much. So can you start us off by telling our listeners a bit about your writing journey? My writing journey. So um, I guess I'm the cliche rather than the exception of the rule. I've been writing my entire life. Um, I think my first poem I dictated to my mom when I was eight years old. Uh, she read me uh, an Edna St. Vincent Millay poem. And so I dictated to her a poem in the style of, and I don't even remember it. My mom has it somewhere, I guess, but yeah, um, that would be my first poem. And, um, and I've been writing ever since I've always loved stories. It, it's like every single writer you ever talk to, <laughs> I, I have always loved stories and I've always been making up stories in my head. So, um, I'm an only child, so a lot of my playmates were in my head. So, yeah, that's been my journey. Like, growing up, that was um, what I used to like to do. And then in college, I majored in English Lit and only recently got back into writing after I was in uh, psychology graduate school for about 10 years. So, Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So why dystopian? What draws why you to that genre? Yeah. What draws me? Well, um, so it, it was, I didn't know, it wasn't until I started trying to, I, the story came before the, the, the genre. Mm -hmm. Um, this was actually a story I started over 20 years ago, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and 
my perspective has obviously changed. Um, but it was my asking a question of at the time was, um, what happens when you look at traditions and the tradition started with something, but whatever that thing was has now disappeared. And this tradition is just there for no reason. And it has sort of evolved into um, the questions I'm looking into uh, now is not only looking into uh, traditions for the sake of, well, we've just always done it this way to um, uh, people just being very busy doing what they're doing and not really taking the time to think about why. Mm. And so I was, I'm just kind of exploring that idea. And as it turns out, if you ask that on a government level and on a societal level, it turns into a dystopia novel. <laughs> so that's what I'm asking is what happens when a society is just so busy doing whatever it is that they're doing that they're not stopping to ask why. Why are we doing it this way? Mm. Do you, I don't know if I should ask this, do you take inspiration from the world today at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, And not any, and, and it's not any particular government. It's not any particular like political movement or any particular politics that I'm asking about this. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking in a very generalized way, Mm -hmm. why are we doing what we're doing? And part of it is because I'm asking from the perspective of the human condition, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I got into psychology is because I am so interested in the human condition. I mean, why do we do what we do is the driving question that all psychologists have. Mm. And when you start asking that on a larger scale and you start, you know, that's when you start talking about society. So um, it's not just because, you know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on now. And of course, you know, I'm taking inspiration from that, but it's not just um, specific to now, although there is a lot of stuff going on that would, you know, beg the question why. (laughs) <laughs> but some of the ritualized um, behaviors that the people go through I actually took from Louis Couture's court and the Takagawa period of Japan. Wow. So um, uh, it's not just now, mm. but, you know, it's just there, there are times of upheaval all the time. And, you know, it's just I think it's a good thing to just kind of take because take a seat, kind of sit back and go, why are we doing this with, with, you know? Yeah. So are you kind of a student of history then? Do you enjoy looking at the past and the patterns that repeat themselves? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, I'm not a a historian. Like I, I almost majored in history. I, I was like one or two, uh, credit shy of having we have minors and I hear in the UK you do not have minors you only have a major mm-hmm. and that's it you, yeah. you get a single major and you're done um I almost had a minor in history um I was missing like one or two classes 
Um, but uh, I do, I am interested in how people basically do the same thing over and over again um, throughout history. And, and it, I could have gone into history as easily as I went into psychology. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just looking at, you know, the human condition and it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, people fascinate me. So, I mean, and I mean, that's why you become a writer too. Is Absolutely. I was just thinking. Fascinate you. <laughs> you know, it's just another way to look at people. Either you're looking at them from like uh, events over time, or you're looking at them from an individual level, like psychology, or you're creating them and trying to get inside their headspace. Like if you're a writer, I mean, any way you look at it, it's just because you're interested in people. Mm. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you find then that you use your psychology degree in, you know, getting into your character's heads? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I cannot, it's, it, I get into their heads and I can, uh, I also have examples of how the characters would act like and, and their many quirks and, and contradictory motivations because of um, one, my understanding of psychology, but also my master's was in um, clinical psychology. I switched to quantitative for my PhD, but um, my master's was in clinical. And so I have some really interesting people that I met. And so I can draw upon them as far as like how people might behave in real life. Mm. and the many many layers that a person can have mm-hmm. so yeah I do I and also I I have a I under like if you haven't so for example you may have a characteristic that a person has and up to this point this is how they'll behave but this is where it becomes problematic and pathological mm. and so I because I have seen where the pathology starts and what that actually looks like and what the dimension is of it. I, I'm able to draw from that, like how far can you push it before mm-hmm. that person is actually, for example, a psychopath mm-hmm. or, versus just being a jerk. <laughs> like, like where, where's that line? Mm-hmm. Because I have seen that line in people. Yeah. So do you find that that comes into play when you're reading as well? Like you could be reading a book and you can see that the author doesn't quite get it. They've made a mistake with, you know, assumptions they make about people or, you know, does it, does it ever interfere with your enjoyment of a book or anything like that? Um, it can. I am currently reading a book by a famous author who does not get women or <laughs> the development of women at all. And if he were not passed away, I would probably be yelling at him. Mm. Um, but for the most part, I have as good a suspension of belief as the next person. So I am, I'm not, um, most psychologists nowadays are not like, we're not like judgmental. Like <laughs> We're going to judge you on your artistry because we know so much. I mean, you know, <laughs> To be honest, that takes a lot more work than I'm, and I want to be entertained just like everybody else, but uh-huh. 
on occasion, if someone gets something like completely wrong, yeah, that's going to take me out of it. Mm. But not like if it's a minor thing, like, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it'd have to be pretty egregious. And this particularly famous author, what the mistake he made was particularly egregious. I'm so, gonna ask you when we finish recording. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll tell you after <laughs> what it was, but yeah, um, it it was yeah. It's just for the most part, it it's not gonna bother me too much. Mm. Okay. Okay. So too much work, and I'm just gonna say it's too much work to be that judgmental. <laughs> Absolutely. Are there any writers you see getting it really right? Um, I think most writers do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, most writers, most creative people are that I have ever read or ever like, um, met, you know, and I've been blessed to know people like you and other creative people, um, are so sensitive to other people that just intuitively mm-hmm. you guys tend to get, get people you know, so, um, and most writers do their due diligence as far as, I mean, if you're describing an actual pathology, most writers go through the trouble of actually researching it. Mm-hmm. Like they would research, like, whether or not a 19th century woman would wear a corset or not, you know, it's, I mean, it's most writers go through their due diligence. So mm-hmm. uh, I would say that for the most part, everybody you know, does get it, get, because that's what creative people do. They, they absorb the human condition and then they express it Mm. from a very intuitive kind of way. And, Mm. and, um, yeah. So I would say, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And anything beyond that, it's, it's, you guys are obviously doing your homework. (laughs) Good. That's good to know. (laughs) Thumbs up to you guys reassuring okay I want to change tack a little bit um and ask you about your other hat because uh you say in your bio and I know because I know you um that you also help uh creatives out with their marketing yeah I'm guessing that the psychology links in there as well like the psychology of buying and selling and all of that jazz has that been really helpful to you psychology um as far as marketing is concerned Mm. buying is a behavior Mm. so yes um knowing how people work is very helpful for understanding why people would um buy something i mean it's like any other kind of behavior like why does somebody decide to um do anything Mm. and so um yeah, of course, like psychology is very useful. Um, one of the classes I taught while I was in graduate school was a prerequisite for consumer behavior. So um, it's it's a found, it's one of the foundations for marketing is actually yeah. psychology. Yeah. Because you have to understand how people work to understand, one, why they do what they do, understand how to um, quantify and predict and... Uh, uh, study people's behavior and then um, 
also modify their behavior. And, you know, having been in clinical psychology and then also being quantitative psychology, that's like the two things that we do is we, uh, in clinical psychology, you're modifying behavior. Mm -hmm. You're predicting it, you're analyzing it, you're trying to figure out what's going on with somebody. And then in quantitative, you're trying to measure it. So Mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's just one behavior out of many that you could be looking at. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for authors, what can we do to, you know, without a psychology degree and doctorate, um, (laughs) how can we understand our readers and appeal to them? Uh, Well, you're a reader, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) So um, start there. Mm -hmm. Try to, if you think, if you come at it as not as the author trying to sell to a reader, but if you're coming at it from the perspective of being the reader and what would appeal to you, where would you see a book? Why would you get interested in a book? Who recommends the book to you? Where do you get your books for your to-be-read list? Why do you choose one book over another book? If you start with yourself and people like you, that's where you're going to start getting more insight into people who and how readers behave. Mm. Because nine times, nine times out of 10, your, your target audience is going to probably be a lot like you because you're writing the story that you would want to read. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not, I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm not using my psychology here. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm not like, really, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, where would you, I mean, I'll ask you that. Where do you find your books to read? Well, do you know, I have come to realize in my years of doing this, that I am not a typical consumer. Okay, so, tell me. So I know I'm a little different. Like I like covers that stand out rather than covers that blend in, whereas it seems to be from the bestsellers lists, most consumers like covers that all look the same. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about bestsellers for a second. Hmm. Bestsellers are a certain group. You're probably a niche. Hmm. Are there other readers like you who would fit into the niche? I would hazard to guess that there's probably a subgroup of people who are like you Mm. and who would like your book and who would like the cover that stood out more because it's not like every other book on the bestseller list. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because for instance, like me, I can't, there's a lot of stuff that I, if it's like every other thing, it's going to turn me off. Mm-hmm. I want something that's quirky. I would rather have a book with a few more typos and a few more grammatical whatevers that I will ignore and have slight, a slightly more quirky take on something mm-hmm. than to have something really polished. Mm-hmm. Because that's just the kind of person I am. But then, so then I would gravitate more towards the indie writer. Mm. 
So when you're thinking about it, are you really targeting the bestseller market or are you targeting the niche market? Mm -hmm. And what are those people like? Mm -hmm. And are they typical? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are the things that you have to keep in mind too, is like when you're thinking about the bestsellers, a lot of the quirkiness gets kind of like mushed out Mm -hmm. because it's like you're appealing to like the masses. So like, Anything that's what I think is fun and um, different and, you know, fresh, you know, kind of gets mushed away when it gets mass marketed mm-hmm. versus like the indie people. The thing that I love about indies, I'm just going to tell you, cause, and I don't care if this is off topic or not, but I'm just, I'm just going to go here. I'm going to go there. Okay. Is, is that the thing I love about indies is that, Indies are not afraid to just go there and like be quirky and try out new things and, and combine genres and try out new tropes just because they can. Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't quite work, it doesn't matter. At least they tried. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I am so sick of entertainment by focus group. (laughs) And and don't get me wrong. I like entertainment by focus group because that's fun. And, you know, sometimes you got to just turn your mind off. But like a lot of times I just I want something that's just going to, you know, not be entertainment by focus group mm. and be a little quirky and have a few more typos. But who cares? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's you have to think about when you're thinking about that sort of thing. Who are you actually trying to appeal to? Is it the masses or is it a specific niche market Mm. yeah and if it's niche then it's probably going to be more specific and standing out might be the thing that you want to do yeah yeah um I would say that in certainly in my genre and obviously I can't speak really for anyone else's but when I look at like the Amazon top selling books in my genre they're almost all indie I mean the indie market has exploded um it in genre fiction you know mm-hmm. and it's obviously it's going to be different in literary fiction um and some genres but yeah and I think it's interesting because there is so much emphasis in certain circles anyway of you know writing to market and you know this sort of push I guess to be um indistinguishable from the traditional books maybe that that is I mean that is one marketing strategy that you can do um my I mean you can do that you can chase the market um my only concern on that would be the market changes so fast that it's I, it would be hard to keep up with it. And so I don't know how you would, I don't know how sustainable that is mm. in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it doesn't take into account that the market has, uh, as much as the market, there's a, a, a relationship between the market and the creatives where it goes both ways. Like, mm-hmm. 
you know, the creatives are, are influencing the market as much as the market is influencing the creatives. Yes. So that conversation is happening and pushing each other mm-hmm. as much. And so it's kind of a misnomer to say that you're, you're writing to the market when you're slowly changing the market with each new book anyway. So I don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe I, don't, I haven't published yet. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. As as <laughs> but no, um, I, I like that. But I don't know. It's one, I don't know. I am asking, I don't know how sustainable that is. And two, mm. I do think that there is a two, it's the conversation is a two way street that as much as the audience is asking for a certain kind of tropes and certain kinds of um, uh, plot points and stuff like that, the authors are also influencing what the audience is going to want. Because mm-hmm. every time, um, every time somebody takes a trope and puts their little twist on it, that's opening up new possibilities for new twists. So every time, um, then that opens up new possibilities. So you're changing the market a little bit. So it's kind of, are you really writing to market? I mean, to some extent you are, but then at the same time, you're also kind of expanding the market and shifting the market a little bit too. Mm. Every time you put a little twist on it. Hey, podcaster, meet Acast. We're the top independent podcast network for creators in the know. We empower you to develop your podcast idea, find your audience, and grow listener relationships, wherever those listeners are. You'll also find a whole range of ways to make money, from membership plans for paying fans to our fully curated and creative advertising experience. Visit acast.com slash network to find out more. Acast, for the stories. Absolutely. And you're always going to get... Like, question. Yeah, you're always going to get authors who are influencers, you know, who someone will, like, this happens in horror quite a lot, especially sort of with, like, zombies or vampires or, you know, everyone will say, oh, that, you know, that monster is is dead and everyone's reading that anymore. And then someone will come out with a book that just reignites the whole genre and suddenly... fresh new take <laughs> on it. Exactly. And that comes from the authors, not from the readers. Exactly. So I think there's a, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. I think good writing is good writing. And I think what it comes down to is the story and the characters and just good storytelling mm-hmm. from what I can tell from just like, from what I've seen, what more established writers have done mm-hmm. is the ones that are more established. I don't know if you can hear my son playing his little tinkle <laughs> piano in the background my two-year-old because apparently I am not paying attention to him and that's not okay (laughs) um so and he's so he's going to do background music for us so that's fine the Um, joys of working from home and (laughs) the joys of momhood you know mom boss here Mm -hmm. um but um the point I'm trying to make I guess is that from what I can tell from the established writers, the things that they have in question, from what I can tell is it's just, you know, they have 10 books. They're, they have good characters. 
they have good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, and if they're writing to the market because in part, because they trained the market that this is what they should expect. Mm-hmm. It's a two way street. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you talked about indies a lot there. And um, so I want to dig into World Indie Warriors. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Can you let us know a bit more about what that is and where the idea came from? Where the idea came from. So I, I thought one of the things that I was thinking was that one of the strengths that mass media has is that they have a network that they built because it is themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they are one big company, so they have their own network of themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this cool thing called crowdsourcing. Yeah, it's yummy juice. And so what ha- we could, you could replace that with people and crowdsourcing, mm-hmm. right? So I was in this um, chat, group chat, with other indie writers and um, we did some promotion together and I thought, hey, this might be an opportunity to actually grow something and grow a network. Mm-hmm. Plus, I always had this long time dream of having like a salon, you know, 1920s salon with like artists in my living room and being able to talk to like <laughs> creative, fabulous people and having interesting conversations and stuff like that. And um, instead of having a living room, I now have a Facebook group where I get to have conversations with really fabulous people and um, have interesting conversations and getting to know lots of really cool people. Mm -hmm. But, um, and there was a collective of women in the 60s who decided to rebel against the establishment by getting together and going, we'll have our own collective. So I thought with all that kind of sprinkled together, I thought, you know what? Forget mass media. (laughs) Forget traditional publishing. We'll just band together and like make our own group. We're stronger together. Mm -hmm. You know, what they're banking on is that we won't get together and we won't help each other and that we're just individual people and so they can dismiss us, but mm-hmm. together they can't because there's more of us than them. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my idea of, of like, it was, that's kind of how it came to be with yeah. kind of a combination of a bunch of stuff. One, my need to be around cool, fabulous people. And two, I just thought it would be really good to um, crowdsource uh, promotion and create a community that's mutually supportive and cooperative and mm-hmm. you can crowdsource promotion and support and all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And has the response from other authors surprised you? Um, the, the, from other authors, like other indie authors? Yeah. The people who've joined the community and got involved and everything. Um, I haven't been surprised. Surprise isn't the word I would use. Mm-hmm. Humbled, mm-hmm. honored, grateful. Mm-hmm. Those would be the words. Mm. I am, I am truly, truly humbled by, and I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I, I'm really, 
honored that people have responded the way that they have. Mm -hmm. And I am truly honored by it. And I mean, it's one thing to have an idea where you would like to see a group of people being cooperative. I mean, because being cooperative doesn't mean that individually you don't profit. Mm. You can individually profit. Yeah. That's not what a cooperative does. You don't like not profit individually. You just help each other profit. Mm-hmm. But I just, I've been honored that so many people, it, that kind of economy and that kind of culture, it's resonated with them. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's more humbled and grateful gratitude. Mm. Yeah. And what do you envision for the future of World Indie Warriors? Um, I would like to see us turn into a nonprofit at some point. And apparently we would like to have a, a fountain of juice that's <laughs> yummy. Um, in addition to the fountain of yummy juice, we would like to have a nonprofit at some point so it becomes sustainable beyond, <laughs> beyond just me um, so that we can continue the work and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to be able to have it so that one of the things I would love to see is make it so that um, readers, if they're in the mood for like a book with certain tropes and certain elements, like my favorite element is an ancient cookbook. (laughs) You know how hard it is to find books with ancient cookbooks? That's not a common search term. And yet it's like my number, like if you have an ancient cookbook in your book, I'm probably going to read your book. And so, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He just wants to play and be a part of this. And he, he's saying, yeah, why don't they just advertise? No. Um, so, I mean, that kind of thing, like, bridging I want to bridge the communities of readers and creatives and I want to um be able to make it so that it's a sustainable um community beyond yeah yes and and so that people like my son if he happens to want to become an artist he will have a community that he can support him yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah if you have a a group of authors who you know if they come across a reader who is looking for that trope and they can say oh there's this book by this other author you might like right yeah that kind of recommendation that feedback that you get when you have a group of people yeah, it would be, yeah. wouldn't that be amazing? Like being yeah. able to find, because I mean, and also the other thing I would like is like have a place for readers to be able to say, hey guys, how about you got, you and these have a, a, an easier time being able to shift gears on your creative process? How about do a little bit of this kind of thing with your work? Have you thought about including ancient cookbooks in your work 
I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> putting it out there. Get some ancient cookbooks. It's going to be the um, next po- most popular trope. I hope so, man. It's going to be I a would thing. Totally, I would totally dig that. But <laughs> I would love for it, like, to be able to um, have a place where readers and writers could come together in a community and, like, have a conversation mm. about... Um, about art because I don't think art is complete until it is consumed. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, a writer writes, and I don't think that story is complete until a reader reads it. Yes. I completely so, agree. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I, I think to, to close that loop, it would be really cool to have a community where writers and readers could come together and like talk. Mm. You want more juice? Okay, let's get you some more juice. <laughs> so what advice do you have for work-at-home parents? <laughs> what advice do I have for work-at-home parents? Um, I have no idea. I just go one day at a time. Um, I've One of the things I've had to do is just let go of like not being embarrassed that I have a kid. Mm. And that, you know, letting go of the idea of what professional is, mm-hmm. you know, like, is it unprofessional that I have a child who is now participating in this interview? <laughs> am I, am I being an unprofessional writer, marketer, because I have a child who's going to be, you know, Zoom bombing <laughs> and, you know, demanding juice in the background? Um and before the pandemic, I might have said, yeah, now I don't care. <laughs> Everybody's at home. So um, we want more juice. There was um, a great phrase you used um, in an Instagram post recently. You said about it's not so much work-life balance as work-life blending. Right. I love that. It's not original to me. Oh, isn't it? Oh, I was no, totally ready no. to give you credit there, Michelle. <laughs> no, it's, I'm not going to take credit because it's not, it's not mine. But um, I will take credit for spreading it. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, it's, I think that's basically what it's all about. Because well, what I've been thinking about, because I think about these things, is... Um, before the industrial revolution and before, you know, we had the revolution of going into the city for the, um, the, you know, day worker kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Our work was our home. Like Mm -hmm. the blacksmith went next door to the smithy and worked there. Then went home for lunch by walking three feet. (laughs) <laughs> and then went home and then the kids would come over say hey dad how you doing and then would you know and nobody thought anything of it mm. and I don't know why that is a what I mean having it so that it's professional air quotes to not have a life whether you have children or furry babies or any kind of life outside of being a worker bee, hmm. th- this has been the anomaly, not the other way around. Here is your juice. 
cold? There's your juice. There's your juice. Drink, drink with good health. Um, yeah. So it's it's more the anomaly that we have to pretend like we're automatons in the white shirt with the tie mm. and the button down shirt. Then it is that we are full people who have lives with dogs and cats and children and not children and parents and whatever it is that is our life Mm. that was more human history than what we're doing right now Mm. so I think we need to re-examine what our expectation is of what it means to be a professional Mm. if only because of that because work life work and life separation was not working Mm. and um Work-life balance was not working. Mm. People were not balanced. No. And um, I'm not particularly stressing about whether or not my son is, like, part of this interview. Because, I mean, if people don't like it, then... They're not your people. (laughs) They're not my peeps. Yeah. I mean, if you don't want a marketer who has a child who, you know, Zoom bombs, then I'm probably not going to be your marketer. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm not going to care if your your child Zoom bombs or if, like, your mom Zoom bombs or, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, it's not going to, I, thank you for that. That, that is frozen juice. Um, so, but I just, I was thinking about that recently, though, that, it's only been a blip in human history that we've had to pretend like we're automatons. Mm. And so I don't know. I don't think yeah. it's working particularly well for us. No, I think with mental health spiraling and, you know, just people are a mess. <laughs> people are a mess. And um, he doesn't want to objecting to my taking away the defrosting in case your listeners would like to know why he's objecting and taking away the frozen orange juice that's defrosting away from him <laughs> because I'm afraid he's going to squeeze it and it's going to go all over the place somewhere that's fair enough you have juice <laughs> my so, yeah my big hope that you know for something positive that can come out of this year is a you know restructuring a re-examination of what what work looks like and I feel like that's happened in certainly in some places and in some industries mm. I think it has in some places and in industries and I think that companies are realizing that if they don't have to house their workers it's going to cost them less money mm. and that's not I mean whatever motivates them fine <laughs> but you know maybe it'll be an increase in salaries that would be good or increase mm. in benefits Mm. um but yeah I just I just yeah yeah okay I have a question from one of my co-hosts Faye um she would like to ask you have any pop culture items like Firefly or the 100 altered your ideas on what possibilities of future technologies are and how people might may react to them 
future technologies and okay so firefly okay i'm there love firefly <laughs> it's shiny yep <laughs> okay shiny okay we're shiny um what technology might do for say that again so um, a really good question and very complex yeah there's some layers to that i'm so, still on juice <laughs> have any pop culture items like firefly altered your ideas on possibilities of future technologies and how people may react of course mm-hmm. um so yeah of course like firefly I don't know specific, like specifically any particular um, science fiction uh, story. Um, the most influential uh, science fiction story uh, on me was um, the Foundation series, mm. with the idea that you could predict human behavior through an equation, which may or may not have led to me becoming a psychometrician. <laughs> and like studying how you measure people and doing stats on people I don't know <laughs> um but uh yeah actually I've been a fan of science fiction since I was a kid actually mm. um and I've always been like I'm 50 years old so um since the 70s like it was like the heyday of of like Star Trek rerun, like the original series Star Trek reruns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the possibility of how we react to technology. The I think the heart of the question is: Have your ideas about people been influenced by the ideas that other writers essentially have put forward? So, like for instance, thinking about Firefly, because we obviously both love it. Um, Right. You know, you have the, the civil war over, you know, control and, you know, you've got the rim where technology is quite basic. It's very like, for those who don't right. know, it's like um, a Western in space. Um, right. So you have this like frontier and cowboys in space. Um, but then you have the central planets that are very, very advanced technology. And so you have people who are rejecting that and choosing a simpler life, I guess. And that is one possible future for us you know and oh yeah okay yeah um I think um one of the fun not fun one of the interesting things about science fiction is that it is a a sandbox on how we will or how we can live in the future with technology or not Mm. and what are we going to do with it and and is it going to be for the betterment and it is science fiction ends up being more about where we are at the moment mm. than as a culture, than really what we're about in the future. Mm. Like if you look at Star Trek, the next generation, it had a lot more of the idealism of American America in the nineties than it had mm. anything to do with the future. Mm-hmm. And it had a lot of the, um, the, yeah, the idealism that America had in the nineties that um was more part of american culture at that time than anything having to do with the future so i think in some respects science fiction is more of a way to communicate the now Mm. to ourselves than what we're going to be doing in the future 
Mm. Um, at the same time, it's a, it has proven to be a predictive tool of what is possible as far as where our science and technology can take us mm. and what some of the ethical issues will be brought up because of it, mm. um, which I think is an important thing to think about. Um, like, what is life? Like, you know, um, as far as like, if you look at Philip K. Dick's books on the androids, mm. I mean, are they alive? Mm. They they think they are. <laughs> and but humans didn't. But is it unethical to kill them? I mean, and that was kind of one of the questions he was asking. Mm. So it's, um, I think it's, in some respects, it's, a good exploration of what is possible in the future, but then it's also a really strong critique of what is going on in the now. Mm. And it's a lot easier to talk about what's going on in the now framed in the future. Yes. Yeah. Because people will, um, um, apparently it's still juice time. Mm -hmm. Uh, People will accept it more if it's distance. Mm. either in the future or in the past yeah if it's not like in your face right now people are you know so yeah yeah I'd agree and I think it's it's a more subtle way of making a point because you'll have a whole load of people who just don't get the point like they just enjoy it on a very surface level and and that's that's totally that's a legitimate way to enjoy entertainment but then you will get the people who think critically and you know assess their situation um from watching something like that um right so it's it's clever I think it's and fiction does that no it's not just sci-fi is it lots of different genres do that for us historical fiction does the same thing romance does the same thing it brings up I mean even the most tawdry rip bodice I mean it asks a lot of questions about relationships Mm. you know and whether you, I mean, it, it does, it brings up questions about relationships and mm. um, if you want to go there or not. Yeah. So, um, or it's just a really fun romp. I mean, <laughs> pun intended, if you want to go there with me on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, that's art. That's what art is for. It's either for escape or it's for some for introspection and it can be both yeah absolutely okay I have the sort of last question that we ask all our writers on great writers share before we get onto the rapid fire round oh good Um, (laughs) so Michelle Rabb why do you write why do I write because I feel like connecting with other people I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head and I want to connect with other people and find out if that stuff is also going on in their head. (laughs) I just, I, that's it. I want to connect with others. Mm -hmm. I like that. Awesome. Okay. Are you ready for the rapid fire round? Sure. Go for it. (laughs) 10 questions. Don't overthink it. I'm not, I'm not going to think I'm on. (laughs) Favorite genre to read. Fantasy. Candles or fairy lights. Fairy lights. (laughs) Uh, Print ebook or audiobook. 
Audiobook, I have dyslexia. Favorite season? Winter, because I can breathe. <laughs> Best writing snack? Coffee. A word that makes you cringe? A word that makes me cringe? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> That's fine. We can move on. Sweet okay. or savory? <laughs> Both at the same time, preferably with a little bit of salt. Nice. Music while you write? It doesn't matter as long as I'm writing. <laughs> I usually have that in the background. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Uh, by the river. <laughs> <laughs> and favorite place to visit? Um, mountains. Okay, that's 10 questions. Yay! Thank you so much. So um, could you let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and World Indie Warriors and the services you offer? Sure. Um, So I have multiple websites because, you know, one must be confusing. (laughs) Um, My writing website is creative. It's Michelle Rab Wright, like with W-R-I-T-E-S, because, you know, I'm creative that way. (laughs) And then... Um, Michelle Rab Marketing because again I am creative dot com both of those are dot com because I am you know very creative so and then World Indie Warriors with an S dot org because again creative <laughs> so you can find us anywhere on those places fantastic thank you so much it's thank been a pleasure you. to talk to you I guess I have to go get some juice <laughs> Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Tune in next week when Dan will be talking with Jay Benjamin. A huge thank you to Michelle for donating her time. You can find all of Michelle's links in our show notes. Until next time. This is Hannah from Red Handed. Would you like to watch something scary? Like, really scary? So scary you'll hide behind the sofa. Then you need Shudder. Shudder offers everything from the latest releases like The Boy Behind the Door and Psycho Gorman to untouchable favourites like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. Polygon describes Shudder as a horror movie paradise. And they aren't wrong. Shudder is the ultimate collection of classic and original horror which pushes boundaries and showcases original storytelling with something new to watch every week. It's available right now ad-free and on demand through all of the platforms you already use. Sign up now at shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary.